The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love that lasts. Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Iesus, The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. As stated in an earlier episode discussing types and shadows, when we study all of Scripture, we tend to see that indeed God seems to create all things according to a pattern which testifies of Him. As we continue to look and study the visible and invisible things of creation, we are able to increasingly see God's reflection to some degree in that mirror. When these examples occur within Scripture, we characteristically refer to them as types or shadows. We shall also see that ultimately, as with all Scripture, that these types and shadows point to the substance which is Jesus. In this episode, we continue our study of types and shadows with the story of Isaac and his bride-to-be, Rebekah. Let's pray. Father, we pray that by your Spirit, you would bring your word to life to our hearts and minds. We pray that according to your promise that we would be given discernment and understanding. We ask that by your grace the seed of faith would be planted, would be watered, and would in due season blossom, grow, and bring forth fruit. 
We pray that whatever blessings we receive, we would always give all glory, honor, and praise to you, from which all good and pleasant gifts are born. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we depart too hastily into the next epic leg of God's rich tapestry of typology, let us review where we are. In order to do so, it is necessary to clearly remember what precedes Genesis chapter 24, because Genesis chapter 22 and Genesis chapter 24 are connected and are in fact continuous. Genesis chapter 22, detailed in our episode entitled, Thine Only Son, gives us the portrait of God's redemptive plan for man made in preparation from the foundation of the world, finalizing at the crucifixion of Jesus at Calvary. Genesis chapter 22 gives us newfound insight into the unwavering love and devotion of God the Father, as well as the sacrificial heart compassion, and humility mixed with the power of God the Son, Jesus. But the story of God's redemptive plan does not stop at the crucifixion. It does not end at the resurrection. There is more. Enter this episode where we hope to better learn the answer to the question, how does Genesis chapter 24, verses 2 onward, help us to better understand what God has done. We begin our study here with verse 2 through 4, which says, quote, And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac." To begin with, we must recall that as we left Genesis chapter 22, verse 13, the last we heard of Isaac, he was finding reprieve by the appearance of the ram whose horns were caught in the thicket and who was subsequently sacrificed in the stead of Isaac. As we took a look at the substance casting the shadow, we saw that Isaac rising from the altar was the type of Jesus' resurrection and his ascension to the father Abraham. It is significant that after Isaac is risen from the altar, which is the type of Jesus rising from the grave and ascending to the Father, there is no mention of Isaac until we come to chapter 24, verse 4 of Genesis. Before we delve too far into the ramifications, let us resume at verse 2 of chapter 24. As in chapter 22, Abraham is still the type of God the Father. Here, in this verse, we have Abraham calling the servant of his house who ruled over all the treasures that Abraham had. While scripture nowhere names the servant in this story, historically, the servant is traditionally recognized as being Eleazar. In these verses, Eleazar takes an oath to do the will and bidding of Abraham, i.e. God the Father. As the dialogue continues, 
Eleazar agrees to find a wife, i.e. a bride, for Abraham's son Isaac. Well, you might already have guessed, Isaac is still, in this case, the type of Jesus. Now, if chapter 22 ends with the resurrection of Jesus, then chapter 24 onwards is the type of Jesus who is seeking his bride, the church, i.e. the outcalled ones. During this period, Isaac, the type of Jesus, is no longer physically present on earth, just as Isaac was conspicuously missing after rising from the altar in our story. In verse 2, Eleazar is then the type of the Holy Spirit who does the will of God the Father, who dutifully seeks out those who will be Christ's bride. God doesn't want just any bride for his son. God is looking for someone very special. It should also be remembered that Rebekah, who was Isaac's eventual bride, was not only a kinsman, but she was a Gentile. This distinction is possible because technically the title of being a Jew was a term and distinction which was not coined until after the birth of Judah, from which Judah's descendants, the Jews, are named. This being the case, the bride, i.e. Rebekah, the church, the outcalled ones, which are being selected for Isaac by Eleazar, the Holy Spirit, is a kinsman to Isaac, i.e. Jesus just as Jesus is a kinsman-redeemer to we who are his church. Second, Rebekah is a Gentile who is redeemed by Isaac, just as we, his bride, are redeemed and become heirs to eternal life by faith. This truth is confirmed in several passages, including... Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, which says, quote, And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Unquote. Also, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, which says, quote, That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Unquote. Essentially, in eschatological terms, then as now, there are two types of people. The two classes are divided into the sheep and the goats. Ultimately, the division of these two groups ends where eternity stands with all sincerity and sobriety upon the razor's edge with the answer to the question posed in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, Mark chapter 8, verse 29, and Luke chapter 9, verse 20, which says, quote, But whom say ye that I, Jesus, am? Unquote. The answer given and the relationship which results thereof forever separates those who will be, by God's grace, hear Jesus' voice, his sheep, from those who will not, i.e. the goats. In the above verse, some may question why Eleazar was prohibited from selecting a potential wife among the Canaanites. There are those who would answer the question with the assertion that Abraham and or God was simply being prejudiced or racist. But the truth is that the Canaanites were not condemned by God or by Abraham because of their race or their creed. They did not find themselves in their predicament because of their appearance, whether it be physical characteristics or dress. 
the Canaanites were condemned because they were grossly immoral in every respect. The men, women, and children went to extents in immorality and perversity that few, if any, have yet to approach in the modern day. The behaviors in question were not limited to a few individuals, nor were the activities done in privacy on a personal level. The Canaanites took the vilest of human depravity and celebrated them in public. Their immoralities were codified into communal norms and promoted at the highest governmental levels as societal virtues. Perhaps the saddest aspects of the Canaanites is what appears to be the arrogance and pride of their immorality. The Canaanites were not trapped in their immorality because of ignorance or isolation. The Canaanites were in their condition in many ways because of their willful rebellion to God, to his truth, and to his ways. It seems that whatever could be said to be virtues which were pleasing to God could be found to be virtually the antithesis among the Canaanites by design. Thus, in our type in Genesis chapter 24, the Canaanites are synonymous with people throughout any age who through willful rebellion to the truth find themselves as those described in Romans chapter 1, verses 17 through 32, as follows, quote, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it to them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves." who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, 
disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them, unquote. In case we miss the point, what finally places the Canaanite now or then into the category of being a goat is not simply being sinful. It is not one or even many immoral activities. If it was, then none of us would be material for redemption. In terms of sin, i.e. falling short, we are all Canaanites of a sort. What divides the Canaanites, i.e. the goats, from the sheep is a matter of the heart. It is a condition which is ultimately only discernible to God himself. Man himself cannot diagnose the condition of the heart. What can be seen is the fruit as it develops. As the condition of sin progresses, the symptoms of the disease become more obvious. Eventually, the symptoms worsen and deteriorate to the point that at some point the heart, the mind, and the spirit which were at one time still soft and receptive to the conviction of God's spirit, are now fully hardened beyond the point of no return. At some point, the call, the voice, and the prompting of God's Spirit falls deaf, and in fact, there comes a time when the prompting stops altogether. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30, say it this way, quote, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one." If then the Canaanites are the type of those who have chosen to rebel, to be of the world, and ultimately to be goats, then by comparison we also understand the prohibition to Eleazar attempting to make those in rebellion become the bride of Isaac, which is the type of the church. In fact, what seems to be a prohibition is in reality an axiom. Those who choose to rebel against God cannot simultaneously be chosen to be the bride of Isaac or of Christ. Instead, it is only those who by repentance surrender to God's call and end rebellion and who come out altogether from being among the Canaanites by faith who are eligible to become a bride to Isaac, the type of Christ. As we continue and discuss verses 2 through 4, it is important to understand that by type and by substance, Eleazar represents the Holy Spirit throughout this story. As was pointed out earlier, Scripture nowhere identifies the servant by name, despite his prominence. As we analyze this story alongside the type and substance, we may recognize the meaning of this, which is explained in John chapter 16, verse 13. Quote, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you unto all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, 
that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come, unquote. As the story moves forward, we can see how Eleazar, i.e. the Holy Spirit, acts, speaks, and works on behalf of the authority of Abraham, i.e. God the Father, to achieve goals and purposes for the glory and honor of Isaac, i.e. the Son. In this case, Eleazar, i.e. the Holy Spirit, goes forth from God, i.e. Abraham, to find a bride, the church, i.e. the ecclesia, or the outcalled ones for the bridegroom, Isaac, i.e. Jesus. By definition, the Holy Spirit can only be effective to choose out the bride from among those who are still receptive to his calling by God's grace. In the end, only those whose hearts are opened by God to hearing will repent and confess their love for and their submission to the Lordship of Jesus. The outcalled ones who know their shepherd's voice will not be found among the Canaanites, because the Canaanites hear and obey another voice, which is not the voice of the shepherd. Chapter 24, verses 5 through 9 say, quote, And the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from which thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware thou that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house, and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land, he shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son thither again. And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master, and swear to him concerning that matter. Unquote. The typology of verse 5 asks what turns out to be a substantial theological question. Quote, what if the woman those who God would call by his Holy Spirit, are not willing to follow, unquote. Notice the answer informs us that neither God, i.e. Abraham, Eleazar, i.e. the Holy Spirit, nor Isaac, i.e. Jesus, proposed to use force or threat of force to make the woman, i.e. the called out ones, the sheep, follow him. Notice also the stipulation that not only is the choice for the woman to follow, but it is a choice to follow me, i.e. the Holy Spirit, unto this land, unquote. Verse 7 makes it clear that the place referred to as, quote, this land, unquote, is the land promised by God under oath to Abraham and his descendants. The area defined as this land is clearly an analogy synonymous with heaven itself. The type in view is plainly manifest as being the substance which is the church age. In this era, historically, we have already seen the birth, ministry, crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. We presently see the work of the Holy Spirit working diligently on behalf of the Father to seek out, draw, convict, and call everyone who will respond by His grace to follow Him by faith to Jesus. 
ultimately, the goal is to join the bridegroom, Jesus, with his bride and to celebrate that union for eternity in heaven, i.e. the promised land. At the same time, make no mistake, the woman, i.e. the proposed bride, in this case every person, is free to reject the offer from God, at which point God has given liberty in advance to Eleazar, i.e. the Holy Spirit, to withdraw and not return. However, in our type, as with the substance by God's grace, Rebekah, like those who are his sheep, called out by his name, respond, believe, act, and agree to follow the Holy Spirit to be joined to Jesus our Lord as his bride. Chapter 24, verse 10 says, quote, And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed, for all the goods of his master were in his hand, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia unto the city of Nahor, unquote. Verse 10 reminds those who are or who will be the bride that Eleazar, i.e. the Holy Spirit, does not come empty-handed. The Holy Spirit, i.e. Eleazar, leaves and arrives to the bride to be with the best and choicest gifts from the Father, i.e. Abraham's house, quote-unquote, in his hand. In this case, God sends ten camels along with Eleazar. Now, even the most superficial examination reveals that the camels were meant for the safe and efficient transport of the bride, i.e. Rebecca, from where she was to be found, all the way back to the land which was promised to Abraham and his heirs. One camel would have been sufficient for Rebecca, but Abraham sent ten. The number ten is associated with completeness throughout the Bible. Ten shows divine order where nothing is left wanting. So firstly, the number ten assures us that those who God calls and who respond to follow Christ and become his bride will be provided with every divine resource necessary to successfully make the pilgrimage from where we are to the promised land of God's presence, i.e. heaven. Second, The camels themselves tell us that we are not intended, nor should we attempt to make the journey by our own efforts. Instead, God provides the power, the resources, the grace, and the victory by faith in His provision to make it to our home to come. Lastly, God does not intend that we travel alone. God's Holy Spirit is with us always. Also, by God's providence, we enjoy the company of others, as did Rebecca with her bridal party, who encourage and help us along the way. Best of all, Eleazar, i.e. the Holy Spirit, brings the message and the invitation of the bridegroom, i.e. Jesus, who sends word of his abiding love, devotion, and fulfillment of a promised life in his presence and protection for all eternity. Chapter 24, verse 11 through 14 say, quote, And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. 
And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master." Returning to the type of the ten camels, which speak of God's gift of provision and transport, we see Eleazar, i.e. the type of God's Holy Spirit, causing the camels to kneel and be subservient, ready, and at the disposal of the bride-to-be, Rebekah, i.e. the church. Not coincidentally, we see that when Eleazar arrives at his destination, we find him waiting at the well at the exact time appointed when the women go out to draw water. At this point, we need to pause to reflect upon the meaning of the well in this story. Absent modern plumbing, a well would only be effective as a source of water if one was willing to go to the well, draw the water, and drink. Even prior to this, one would have to anticipate or recognize their need for water so as to be in a position to approach the well. Timing would be of the essence. If the women of the city started out at the wrong time in the day, it might be too hot. Consequently, one would exert unnecessary energy and squander resources due to the heat and efforts expended making the trip to the well, drawing the water, and returning with heavy jars filled with water. If one started too late, the darkness would set in and the trip would be too dangerous due to the terrain and other factors. Thus, there was an advantageous time when the women could come to the well and safely draw water. Remember, water is an element essential to life itself. It would be impossible for anyone living in Rebecca City to not know that they were thirsty or that water was not important. Everyone knew they would have a critical need for water to live. As a result, everyone would at some time need to journey to the well, draw water, and drink. Eleazar was aware of the importance of the well. He was aware of the time frames in question and positioned the camels and himself by the well to wait. During the wait, Eleazar used the time to pray that God would designate the appointed and appropriate woman who would be a suitable bride for Isaac. Verse 15 through 20 says, quote, And it came to pass, before he had done speaking, that, behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well, and filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her, and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she hasted, and let down her pitcher upon her hand, and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. And she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again unto the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. Unquote. In verse 14, Eleazar prayed that God would identify the bride to be by virtue of specific words she would speak. This prayer implies that Eleazar was anticipating the possibility that more than one woman might appear at the well. 
Eleazar was not looking for just any woman. Eleazar was conscientious and concerned that the woman in question should be appointed and selected to satisfy Abraham's directive and Isaac's heart. In Eleazar's prayer and the resulting actions of Rebekah, we can see the following. The first condition that Rebekah met was that she knew her need for water. Rebekah went actively prepared with a jar, seeking water from the well to satisfy her thirst. In this act of the play, Rebekah is the type of those sheep who are empty. They thirst daily for water to quench their thirst. They drink daily from the well only to find themselves thirsty the next day. Left to their own devices without the intervention of a bridegroom, Rebecca will continue to walk day after day to the well, draw, drink, and remain thirsty despite her best efforts. It is in this place of searching need that Rebecca meets Eleazar, who waits in earnest prayer. Eleazar's desire is to find the woman who will be a faithful bride for Isaac. During this period, Rebekah appears in sight. As she approaches, we notice the following. Rebekah is carrying her pitcher on her shoulder. This demonstrates Rebekah has come prepared. While she is thirsty for water, she is empty. Though she is empty, she comes with purpose, expecting to be filled. Second, Rebecca is fair to look upon, and she is a virgin. Remember, Eleazar, who is the type of the Holy Spirit, is the one making these observations and evaluations. While it is likely that Rebecca did in fact have physical beauty, I believe what is mainly in view is the raw spiritual beauty God seeks for his own bride. In this respect, Rebecca is the type of the pre-believer who is like a piece of coal which God will choose and by his grace and through her faith will transform her by his power into a diamond for his glory. As the story proceeds, Eleazar watches Rebecca fill her jar with the temporal water of the earthly well. After filling her jar, Rebecca was doubtlessly en route back to her home. It was at this stage that Eleazar, i.e. the Holy Spirit, runs to meet Rebecca and begin the propositional questions and actions which lead to her choice and selection to be Isaac's bride. In this analogy, we see the fervent and zealous actions and efforts on the part of the Holy Spirit toward the elect. Without Eleazar, Rebecca would return home, drink the earthly water, and return the next day and every day thereafter, to do the same. In the final analysis, the type in question demonstrates that God's Holy Spirit is constantly and eagerly working to seek and to draw all those who will follow the Bridegroom, Jesus Christ. This truth of this type is clearly articulated by Jesus himself to the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, verse 13. Quote, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw, unquote. 
Within the type and the substance of the bride of Isaac, there is more to come yet. For the present, this concludes this episode. Please join me for part two of the bride of Isaac. Thank you for listening. Don't the world.